Welcome to We'll Always Have Paris, a podcast that dissects and discusses culture's best and worst love stories set in the city we call home. I'm Rachel Kapelke-Dale, author of several novels, including The Ingenue and The Ballerinas. And I'm Nafkote Tambarat, author of The Parking Lot Attendant. And I'm Chris Newens. I'm a journalist and non-fiction writer. Today on the pod, we'll start out with This Week in Love, a segment that brings you up to date on what's current in the world of romance. In this episode, Shonda Rhimes releases the trailer for the first Bridgerton spin-off. We discuss meet-cutes and race-blind casting, and Chris discovers Beyoncé. Then it's time for The Love Story, the segment where we do a deep dive into a classic Paris-based love story from fact or fiction to figure out whether it works and if we buy it. Today, we'll be talking about the musical Les Miserables. Naf is forced to summarize hours of plot from multiple versions into a few minutes, Chris corrects Rachel's French, and we discuss the most pressing questions of our day. Topics include, how do posh people always find each other? Does Jean Valjean die a virgin? And why is it not called Lays Happy? Finally, we'll round things off with a game of Mary Kill, the segment in which we apply the classic slumber party game to the characters from our main love story. Let's just say Cosette doesn't top anybody's list this week. This podcast does contain explicit language and discusses adult themes. Please listen with care. Thanks for joining us. Now, here's this week's episode of We'll Always Have Paris. So this week in love, on Valentine's Day, they released the trailer for Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story. Has anybody here seen the Bridgerton series? Yes. I'm raising my hand now. You have. You were the one I was worried about, surprisingly. I've only seen the first series. It's called a season, but correct. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And they released the trailer. Now, this has been in the works since 2021, but um, it's going to be coming out now. We have a release date. It is May 4th, 2023. Shonda Rhimes uh, has said, I'm very obsessed with Queen Charlotte, and I always call her the Beyonce of the show. This would not be We'll Always Have Paris without a Beyonce reference. Beyonce will have you on anytime. You don't have to talk to Chris. Uh, Chris does not know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry. I'm I'm Googling frantically, but I don't know how to spell Beyonce. Beyonce, the way he spelled your name, I'm so sorry, girl. I'm so sorry. Don't sick Julius on him. Not yet. So Queen Charlotte in the original series is played by Golda Rocheville, who is absolutely outstanding. Love. Now, this is not a character who appeared in the Bridgerton books, which I'm assuming I am the only one who read all of them. Yes. Um, There are Bridgerton prequels written by the original author, Julia Quinn, but uh, none of them center around Queen Charlotte, who doesn't appear in the books, but was a real person, of course, in real life, married to King George III, known from such movies as The Madness of King George and such events as the American Revolution. So we have India Amartyefio. We'll play the younger version of Queen Charlotte, but we also have Golda returning to oh, reprise the older role here. And the the big thing that I wanted to point out here and wanted to talk about is 
that Queen Charlotte is often given as an example of Bridgerton's race-blind casting, which has been a big topic of discussion in the same way that, you know, race-blind casting was in Hamilton, for example. Queen Charlotte, the wife of King George, was directly descended from Margarita de Castro y Sousa, which was a black branch of the Portuguese royal house. And there are portraits of her as a black or mixed-race woman. And this fact has not been discussed in the popular consciousness. And so it's an important fact that this is the first Bridgerton spin-off, and I think we can all expect many, many more, that is taking place to really center the conversation around this actual historical figure. And what we know so far is that there is a meet-cute, we all love a meet-cute here on We'll Always Have Paris, uh, in which the queen, the future Queen Charlotte and King George cross paths inside the palace garden. So Charlotte is trying to scale the wall and escape because nobody wants to be a queen, not in a romance. (laughs) That's not how these things work. And this is a problem for the man who finds her. And that's particularly because he is her husband-to-be and he is already intrigued by her. So we have trailers for this that we'll link in the show notes. But uh, how are you guys feeling about this? Is this something you're going to watch? Oh, 100%. Okay, so I will say that, like, I am, yes, I'm very excited about this. I will watch everything about Bridgerton that Shonda Rhimes gives me, even though, even though the race-blind casting is one of my big kind of eyebrow raises with the series. Okay, why? Because I think that by saying and by making it clear that there's race-blind casting, a lot of the racial dynamics of the show get messy or are not explained or are not kind of carried through in interesting ways. So I think in the first season, for example, I remember the first few episodes, I was so excited about the fact that it didn't seem like we were going to get any explanation about why some people are Black, some people are White, some people are Asian or however they present. And then we get that moment where, although I love, and I love this character, Roger's aunt, with the one who always has amazing hats. I love that actress as well. Yes, so that is Adjua Ando, uh, who plays Lady Danbury. Exactly, Lady Danbury. She gives an explanation where she basically kind of, you know, in this moment of exposition explains, so ever since our queen married someone who's white, now we're good, right? Like now we don't have kind of race problems. In some ways in kind of giving a, to me, half-assed explanation as to why there are black and white people, it ruined the fantasy of it because in some ways I kind of love the idea of, wow, watching a show where there are black people and I don't have to worry about them. I don't have to worry about like, oh my God, there's going to be discrimination. Someone's going to get hurt. I liked being able to enjoy that fantasy that there was an equality of sorts. But that story actually raised a lot of questions for me because then I was like, well, what about all the other people who are not black or white? What about the fact that there are lots of other discriminations that still are held over from our like re- reality that are still present in Bridgerton, right? Like in Bridgerton, there's tons of fat phobia. There are like all these other like stereotypes that we have are present. So I'm like, oh, okay, so this one marriage was able to fix quote unquote racism, but again, only when it's really necessary because I do think that racial dynamics play a role in the way that the plot rolls out, right? Like even in the second season, we have we have a romantic lead who's Indian and that does matter. So I guess all that to say that it's not that I have a problem, obviously, I hope that's clear with race blind casting. I just think it's used in such a way to kind of cover over a lot of gaps and cover over a lot of complexities that either I think truthfully should just be ignored completely and let us live in the fantasy, or if you're going to address them, address them and really deal with them. And I will say too, that since this is based on reality, that this is based on history, the fact that 
uh, the royal family hid her race from the public. And in fact, that did not solve racism forever. And they maintained, you know, huge investments in sugar plantations, you know, in industries that were slave dependent really uh, complicates things as well. Chris, will you watch this new prequel? And what do you think about race blind casting? No, just kidding. I'm not laughing. <laughs> it's a trap. Run. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think that it's just such a super complicated subject. Speaking as the uh, kind of straight white uh, boomer adjacent member of uh, the three of us. Um, Side point: Chris is thirty six. <laughs> yeah. Spiritually, I've I've just found Beyonce, but I don't know if it's the right Beyonce. I I, I think it I think it's so like so complicated, um, and there are so many things to unpack. But but put really simply, it is a little bit of a case of like wanting to have your cake and eat it. But I also don't really think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, and it's sort of um, a job for people to figure out, like, after the fact. I think that the the people who are making the series can put that out there. And then other people can analyze it. And to be honest, like in this current day and age, like people analyzing it and going, oh, it doesn't really make sense is just a, a great way of like generating more clicks and generating controversy or not controversy or whatever. Um, because, yeah, by creating something which is not completely logically sound, yeah, you just you launch like a thousand opinion pieces like this one. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, and I I should say also that I really love Shonda Rhimes' shows. I love her writing. I'm a huge fan of her. I guess for me, I almost wish we could just have had a fantasy and really just enjoyed it. But I I would argue that that would be ultimately that's kind of impossible. No, I think, and I think you're right, and I think that if, and I actually think that if if they had gone that route. They would have gotten a bunch of complaints. How dare you? Why not use this show to address? So I, I I, think there probably is no universally correct way or universally satisfying way to do it. And I love Bridgerton. I'm going to watch all of it. So I'm not here to say, like, it should be canceled or I'm telling anyone to do their how to do their job. But I guess a little bit of me is like, this is this is a really convenient way to get that controversy, right? To get those clicks without actually really digging into it, right? Without actually really trying to address some, what these inequalities are. And once again, I think they, the show does trade off on other discriminations, other forms of othering that are not around, surrounding Black people, which is like nice in some ways, but in other ways it's like, wait, so they just got rid of that one way of discriminating? I, I don't know. I think there's some, there's something about that really sticks in my craw, but again, I know that it's complicated and a lot of this is trying to get people to watch, right? Like it's getting eyes on the show. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, at the same time, I think that the fact that this is from the production company of Chandra Grimes is, does a lot of work for it, at least in my mind, compared to, you know, being done by a straight white male that is not necessarily producing this within a similar body of work, you know, that, that analyzes and, you know, looks at relationships and power relationships in, complex ways and provokes this kind of discussion. So I'm excited. I'm definitely going to watch. Um, Bridgerton, we are here for you. So now it's time for the love story. This week, we are going to be talking about Les Miserables, uh, and I will turn it over to Nav, who is going to 
present to us. I will say that this week uh, we are talking about the original Broadway cast recording. Um, I had meant to send everybody the original West End recording, but I made a mistake. So we listened to the lesser Broadway recording. Forgive me, musical theater fans. I know it's worse. Um, we also listened to the original French version and we watched the 2012 film version. So with that, Naf, take it away. So we, I, before I even get into giving a little bit of an introduction to the musical is, I would love to ask what, for, the, for all of us, what has been our introduction to Les Mis? What's our relationship to Les Mis? And that could be the book, could be the musicals, could be the movies, I'm very curious. I would say that I don't think a single one among us has finished the book. This was the first musical that I'd ever heard. My older sister was a musical theater actress, had done this kind of fame type high school where she was doing musical theater, and she, she made me these abridged versions of Broadway musicals that would fit onto two sides of a tape, because I'm ancient. <laughs> and so uh, Les Mis was the first musical that I ever heard, and I was immediately head over heels in love. It was the West End recording. It was uh, like a, a selection of the songs. Mm -hmm. So the, the story as a whole made no sense to me. But I was in, and since then, yeah, I've seen the whole thing, I've listened to the whole thing multiple times, I found out that it was originally recorded in French, which blew my mind, right. <laughs> and yeah, and then I, I watched the movie version in 2012 as well as some of the other movie versions. I'm such a musical theater nerd, you guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have opinions, so I'm ready to talk about it. Chris? What about you? Uh, well, for me, I mean, there was not a lot of pop music which was listened to in my house growing up. And instead, um, I feel that it was mainly my mum who was always in charge of the stereo, whether that was like in the kitchen or the kind of car driving around. And we were constantly like listening to musical theatre songs. And obviously among those was Les Miserables. And sort of like similar to you, Rachel, I guess I would have uh, listened to a lot of the the songs in Les Miserables. And then actually my mum's, like, probably her best friend while I was growing up, uh, was obsessed by this musical. And I think she went to see it something like 11 or 12 times uh -oh. at the theatre up in London. Wow. I, we got taken as a family with her to see Les Miserables up in, up in London. Uh -huh. I don't remember a huge amount of it because I must have been like seven years old or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember my dad hated it. <laughs> um, you know how there's this sort of like category situation of musicals, like you know, for anybody who has sort of like, you know, quote unquote taste in pop music, uh, musicals are quote unquote bad. And whenever he had an opportunity, he would rail against how bad they were. And yet at the same time, as I say, they were pretty much the only music that we ever listened to. <laughs> Uh, in our house. I do feel like this is a very 1980s opinion. Based on things, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Based on things like Phantom of the Opera mm -hmm. and so I feel like earlier musicals, I'm particularly thinking of Stephen Sondheim. Mm. Yeah, I feel like Sondheim was like the intellectuals musical. Mm. You know, and Les Miserables was, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle. And Phantom of the Opera was just like, it's boobs and a ghost. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, what there yeah. was. Yeah, but ironically, you know, Phantom has some bangers. Um, briefly, so I'll just say for me, 
I have, so I've seen the musical. I saw it with my mom. My mom loves musicals when it was in Boston. I don't, I must've been preteen, like early teen. And so I only, so I, and then I got the CD and I listened to it then kind of once through. And there are some songs I listen to over and over again. And one of the things that's so interesting about Les Mis too is that there are basically four songs like <laughs> that are played over, but they're unbelievable, right? And like yeah. whenever, whenever you hear like Cosette's kind of dreamy air, you go, oh, of course that's going to happen. Like it's really incredible. Like those four songs carry so much weight. It's also a musical that's one of the few that I've seen at least where it really is all singing. Like there are mm -hmm. some singing parts and because in musicals in general, like from my understanding, like when you're singing, it's supposed to show intense emotion, right? You speak until it gets too much for you and then you start singing. And then when it gets too much for you, then you start dancing. But in Les Mis, there's no <laughs> dancing. So you just keep singing really hard, right? Until you like die on the barricades. Um, so for those who don't know, Les Miserables, it's a novel by Victor Hugo from 1862. And the musical is like, it's pretty faithful in terms of the broad strokes of the plot. I did read the book, but I read the abridged version when I was really much too young. I don't remember anything from it. My dad was a huge reader, and my favorite thing to do was to go into his library when he was away and sneak books out. And I remember seeing that one going, it's so big. It must be the most important one. And I read it, and I was like, mmm, yeah! Okay, and I don't remember anything else from it, but that was the book that talking what the word abridged meant. Because I would look at the back and I kept seeing the abridged version. I was like, abridged, abridged, okay. Then I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's the short version? Ew, and I was kind of disappointed in myself, but I'm never going to read it probably. See, I just found the ones with the most swear words in them when I went yeah, to yeah, yeah. the library. And I was like, this must be the best. This is for adults. Yeah. <laughs> and so the musical, so Rachel told us that the original musical is French blew my fucking mind. I had no idea. Because I've always mocked Les Mis as well for being that thing where when something is set in a country that's not England or America, we Americans are immediately like, and we'll just do British accents. Like, that's how we're going to denote foreign. Um, and I just kind of assumed, right? Because whenever you listen, especially Gavroche, like, Gavroche is so like, they oh, people. So it's like, oh yeah, this must be Americans all around. And the French, I will say the French musical, we'll get into that, but it's so good. It's amazing. I know. And you guys, we really don't want to be the people who are like, the French version's better. <laughs> and I still love, I still love the English language version. And it's, yeah, well, again, we'll get into that. But yeah, the French one is, is excellent. So that one comes yeah, out it is good. in 1980. Um, so the two people who created it are Claude-Michel Schomburg and Alain Bouville. And they're, they're still alive and they're still famous mostly for their collaborations together. So after... After this, they do Miss Saigon. Um, they do a bunch of other musicals, but really Les Mis is like their big achievement. And they had the idea for Les Mis because they go to see Oliver and they're like, wow, a musical based on like a classic, what do we, oh, let's try it. <laughs> and so it comes out and it's like not, it's it's fine, right? Like the French love musicals, which is I think not very well known outside of France, how much French, yeah. like France loves a, like a comédie musicale. They, yeah. and, and, and I guess for me, it's such a, and I love musical theater, but I also think it's a cheesy art form. And so I, of course, I assume it's an American art form, but the French love it. Cause the French are also like low key, very, very fromage heavy. <laughs> like not just, like not just literally, they're the cheesiest fucking people. And that's why they're really mean. Cause I think they don't want anyone to know about <laughs> the inner meltings. They are, if you will, soufflés. <laughs> and thank you. And that's called topical humor. Okay. Um, and so... Then um, there's this big British producer named uh, Cameron McIntosh, who is extremely famous and kind of an asshole. Like, as a person, seems to like, be pretty shitty, has made like tons of transphobic comments, blah, blah, blah. He's one of those people. But he's like a star when it comes to musical theater. Like, he produces shows that make money. And so they, so he develops along with um, some of the writers, including Herbert Kretzmer is the person who does the English translation of the musical. 
And I gotta say, like, it's really, because I was listening to, I would listen to one song and then be reading the French lyrics while listening to the English. And there are definitely choices that he makes that are because it's for an English-speaking audience. Yeah. But the way that he still gets across pretty much the exact same meaning while making sure the rhymes work, it's incredible. He actually does the English language adaptations of um, Charles Aznavour songs as well. Mm -hmm. um, so he's this is something that he's extremely talented at. So then it becomes, so it, it gets an English language adaptation. It's released in the 90s. So the first uh, production is 1993. And critics are not into it. Like the more highbrow critics are like, how dare you desecrate this incredible work of fiction from, you know, like, you know, this classic of 19th century literature. But from talking to other people, um, including my husband, who's a French teacher, about Victor Hugo, he was like, Victor Hugo is the corniest fucking writer of all time. Yes. He was like, he should be mocked. He should be desecrated. That book is so silly. And, and actually, I listened to a bunch of podcasts about the book. No, instead of reading the book. <laughs> and the podcasts were like, yeah, it's a really funny book. It's kind of cheesy. It's kind of weird. Like, it's kind of ripe for musical theater adaptation, right? Like, I think mm. they chose the original, like, the two composers, like, they chose it quite well. And so in the, in the musical, Jean Valjean, our protagonist, or one of our protagonists, he's released from prison after 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. And he comes out, and his heart is filled with revenge. He's like, yeah, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to, like, wreak havoc on the world. He goes to this bishop's house, and he steals candlestick holders. Ooh. <laughs> and then the police come. And then he's like, oh, oh, he gave them to me as a gift, though. And they're like, oh, right. Oh, good story. And then they take him to the bishop. And the bishop, because he's a bishop, and Christianity's like, like muy bueno. And he's like, oh, absolutely. I absolutely did give you. I, I, you're right. I did give you those. But you didn't take the other one. You should have taken more. Aww. And the police are like, all right. And then and then the priest has this song where he's like, I'm basically, you know, I'm buying your soul for God. And Jean Vaginal's like, oh my God, my heart, it softens. I think, I think he's right. Like, I'm gonna become a good Christian. And so he hides his identity, he becomes a mayor, and he becomes like very respected, respectable. In the meantime, in and this is interesting too, or like in the English language version, he there's a foreman and there, there's a factory there are all these factory workers, one of them is Fontine who is always kind of put on airs, apparently been like really like, oh, like holier than thou. And the foreman's always trying to like get her like alone and she refuses and it comes out that she's a daughter, right? Because one of the other like bitches at this factory steal a letter that comes to her and the letter is about, oh, Cosette, your daughter needs more money. And of course she's like, oh, she has another man. And the foreman's like, oh, I should have known you're fired. In French, um, he's a pimp. Because in the, of course, in the English language adaptation, the worst thing that happens is that Fontine becomes a prostitute babies i would say like sex worker now but because in the because in the show she's called a prostitute and it's very much supposed to be like a you know a derogatory like oh the prostitute so i'm going to say prostitute right. knowing full well again i wouldn't say it now for nowadays um so fontine becomes a prostitute she she sells everything she has she sells her hair she's kind of you know the, the last thing she can do is this and she becomes extremely ill Jean Valjean um, comes into contact with her, is like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, I didn't understand that all this terrible stuff was happening with the foreman slash pimp, depending on the language. And she goes, well, can you just take care of my daughter, Cosette? And he's like, I promise I will. And then he does, he raises her, he never tells Cosette who her mother is, he's just like, you know... And so she's kind of growing up in this feeling of like, I don't know what the past is, I know something weird has happened, but no one talks about it. In the meantime, she meets Marius, who is a young, romantic, would-be revolutionary. They fall in love, they have a couple of like you know, ballads together, and then, and he has to choose between revolution or not, because I forgot to mention that in the world of the play, this is revolutionary times, capital R, capital T. But not the French Revolution. Not at all, no, yeah. that's very, exactly. That's why it's really, like, trademark revolutionary times. It's, it's yeah, there's revolution going on, you know, like, there's kind of foment being, you know, 
stoked in the streets of Paris. Um, and so there's a barricade, and he decides to join the student revolutionaries. In the meantime, Jean Valjean leaves with Cosette. Um, they go somewhere else. They leave Paris. Um, Marius fights in the barricades. Gavroche dies. Gavroche is like this Someone else is in love with Marius, though, right? Yes, thank you. There's Eponine, who is... And I'm sad... I'm Our, queen. <laughs> Our queen. I'm sad I didn't talk about her because I love her so much. She is the daughter of... Forgotten again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no! Eponine, I'm sorry! Sorry! Um, she's the daughter of the Thenardier family, who own this gross, disreputable kind of, like, hostile... They have a song that's very funny... Um, and so she falls in, she's in love with Marius and he barely even notices her, even though she does all these favors for him, including when the Thenardiers try to rob Jean Valjean and his daughter, Eponine like calls out and warns them. And so they have to run away. And even then Marius is like, oh my God, you've saved us again. That's incredible. Eponine, meet Cosette. Cosette, meet Eponine. I'm sure you guys will be friends. And of course that doesn't happen. And when Cosette leaves, because Jean Valjean goes, oh my God, we're in danger. Cause he's convinced that it must be someone named Javert, who is this, who's a, a police officer, very high up, like a commissioner of some sort, and he's obsessed with Jean Valjean, supposedly because he's like, oh, the law must be upheld. In reality, I think they're in fucking love with each other. <laughs> See, I think Javert is upset, like, head over heels in love with Jean Valjean, and Jean Valjean is like, I'm trying to work on my relationship with God. Like, <laughs> bruh, I don't have time. I don't have time for you. Um, Javert eventually will commit suicide, but not before he pretends to be revolutionary and tries to fool them. And Gavroche is like, oh my god, he's such a liar. That's not what's going to happen. And then, yes. So a revolution happens. <laughs> and then the French version yeah. is like, let me sing a song about French yeah, philosophers. Exactly. So, <laughs> and then in the English version, it's like, because les old people know yeah. what les old people does. And, um, and then war, like the revolution happens. Like they, they win. Um, a lot of people die. Who win? Um... I think, like, even if the French don't win at large, like, the student revolutionaries, I think the idea is that it's a victory, right? No. they lose. Do they lose? They definitely lose. So this is the... Oh, uh, I think I missed that. No, the, this, is, uh, this is something that's really complicated about this yeah. show. Because people, A, don't understand that it's not the French Revolution right. of 1789. Right. It's after the Bourbon Restoration. Right. So this is... 1830, there's a new king on the, fr- on the throne. He's not, like, a direct line right. from, you know, Marie Antoinette and the king that was murdered, right. you know, all of that. Basically, they have... It's the July monarchy. Mm-hmm. It is July of 1832, mm-hmm. and it's a failed rebellion, actually, which the 19th century is dotted with in, in right. France. Like, there are a whole bunch of rebellions, and some of them are successful and some of them are not. Mm-hmm. And this is one that was not... Okay. That's why it's not called Les Happies. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. I think for me, like, the latter half of the play is so dominated by the love of it all. You know what I mean? Like, I do, yeah. like, I had to kind of, like, really track myself and be like, okay, so this is, so yeah, so they've, they fail. And then, and then to be honest, I forget what, how the show, work. like, I remember there's the turning, turning, like, because there's that beautiful song yeah. where, like, all the women are, are kind of like all these men who have died, all these boys who have died, they barely lived. In the meantime... Marius and Cosette are still in love with each other. He sends a letter through Eponine, who does die as well. She dresses up as a boy to join him on the barricade. She says, I want to be close to you. Um, and even then, and she sings this beautiful song where she's like, at least you're, at least you're close to me now. Um, yeah. Which is uh, heartrending. Um, because in the book, she just says, as she, she, she dies, I might have been a little bit in love with you. And that's all. And I'm like, wow. I love that because it's so yeah. much more like scope for the imagination. Right. You know, instead of a you know, in the the 
musical where she's just like, right. you know, in, in the French version, it's like, you know, I dreamed of princes and fairy right. tales from the time I was little. And in the English version, it's like, you know, I imagine you beside me all the time. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Because I was going to say also like my, my, my interpretation of the French versus the English language version in, in Eponine's case is that in the French version, she seems to be a bit, she seems a bit to be a bit more resigned to the fact that, of course, Marius will never love her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, she's obviously heartbroken over it. Whereas in the English version, I think there's a little bit more of a, I wish this would happen. Whereas in the French version, it's, it could never happen and I'll just be alone. That's yeah. just what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and there are gorgeous songs. Um, they lose and Mary, and then Marius and Cosette do get married. And it's only then, and Jean Valjean ends up dying in this convent. He gives Cosette a letter that explains her history. Um, in the meantime, he also like kind of sings a song before all of this, actually, where he says like, "Take, take me, not Marius. Like, let me live. Yeah. Let me, let me die in his stead. Like, don't kill him in the barricades." The Tenardis come back, a very happy couple, frankly. I mean, like in their moaning, groaning <laughs> ways. They're, you know, they're happy being gross and disgusting and hating each other and like insulting each other in front of other people. And I think, yeah, they have like. They're so happy. Like they like, have a mutual goal. Their literal like last phrase in both versions is like, "And we'll see you all in hell." Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, they're happy yeah, with it. They're <laughs> like, "Cool. Thanks for letting us be beggars at this feast." Yeah. Um. And then yeah. And then there's the wedding corral. And then Marius and Cosette live happily ever after. One could assume in the 1800s in France, a notably peaceful time. Nothing happened then. <laughs> so so let me ask you this: Is this a great story? Are we talking okay. specifically about, like, Cosette uh, and Marius's gonna, love yeah. story? No, we'll get into that in a second. Like, is, is Les Miserables in general a great story? No. Why? I mean, because... I mean, like, if you're talking about the musical, which is... is yes, which we are. About, yeah. Um, because well, it's split into two parts. Like, the it, it shifts the focus of kind of like who the main character is like halfway through you think it's Jean Valjean and then suddenly it becomes this sort of like strange morass of like other people and I feel to me it has always seemed more like a kind of a collection of like individual monologues which stand you know with a bit of story around them but then it's more about character than it is about story. This was actually one of the big critiques when the original version of the French musical came out was that it loses a lot of what I find to be totally unreadable like you know 50 page sections of Victor Hugo being like and this is why clerics in France are intolerable mm -hmm. you know and and this and that you know these structural points that he was trying to make whereas for a musical because of the kind of grand emotion and the solo songs you need it becomes so much more about the individual I think for me the because I am like a musical obsessive like I, I do love a musical but I do think that this only has a satisfying ending if you believe in like a very particular Catholic God mm -hmm. who's like mm -hmm. we will send <laughs> I will send you know Fontaine back as a ghost to guide you oh right I forgot Eponine and Fontaine <laughs> do come back as ghosts they guide him to heaven I, wow yeah important. yeah exactly whereas if you think like okay so what would this story be without kind of the uh, Christian morality, mm -hmm. you know, and, and ethos of all of it. And it's like, this guy is miserable and running for years, and mm -hmm. then he dies. Right. Like, that's all he's got. Yeah. And it's like, and the rich people get married, and the other poor people die. <laughs> like, that's, yes. You know, that's what you got. I will say, I, so I agree that it's not, 
I think it's just a great musical story. I think that's what it is. Like, it's one of the... I mean, it really is pretty much, like, no skips on the soundtrack. Like, there are songs that I do skip because I'm not going to lie, like, <laughs> we'll get to it, but Mary and Cosette are not are not the couple I care about. No. Their songs are not the ones. And it's they're beautiful songs. They sing them gorgeously, but they're just, like, that. those aren't the songs that I gravitate towards. But it's just, as a musical, though, every single song is so dramatic. And I think there's just, because I'm a big soap opera lover as well, like, mm. Les Mis is a massive soap opera, right? Like, down to... The barricades, student revolutionaries, like youth on the line, there's a war, there's love. I just think in that sense, like it is so great as a dramatic musical story, and which is not the same as being a good story story. Agreed. Agreed. So so, so let's shift that a little bit and go, is this a great love story? Depends on who you think the great love stories are about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take it initially as it's presented in the musical. Let's talk Marius and Cosette. I mean, for me, no, right? Like, it's just like, because by the time we meet Marius, right, it's act two, we, there are very few scenes with them, if I remember correctly, from watching it, between the two of them, right? Like, they have their longing, they're separated for a lot of it, and then they get back together when they're married, but it never feels like, I mean, this is just a problem with a lot of kind of epic love stories, especially musicals. It doesn't feel to me like they really, really love each other. They love the idea of each other. They're really happy to be in a marriage. There's obviously the Catholic thing of, like, now we're married, everything's fine, and Cosette really wants to get married, but... No, I mean, like, it would be much more, like, if Eponine got Marius, I'd be so happy. And, like, <laughs> and in many ways, again, like, to my soap opera heart, like, her dying without getting to really, like, without nothing, without anything happening, and she's been, like, the selfless, I mean, that's such an Ethiopian thing, too, right? Like, the, like, the, the, the woman who sacrifices everything for the man, but mm. doesn't get love. Mm. Well, God will take care of her, you know? Like, it's just, <laughs> Fontaine is such a, like, it's such, like, Ethiopians would love that character thing. So, yeah, no, I mean, Marius and Cosette, to me, are, like, so boring. I mean, it's almost like a nun, you know, like you're married to God. Yeah. Type but at thing. the same time, to talk about the like the little bits, and it's really difficult. You can't you can't kind of quote bits of a musical without seeing them, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> okay. it, it's, it's definitely going to sound really kind of flat and lame if you sort of start reading uh-huh. it in blank prose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, that's like, true. But the the um, the in my life song, like you know, so many questions and answers that you know, and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. It, that's a really romantic moment i think i'm 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 touched and moved by that but there's a lot of filler in there too i mean there's literally an exchange in both versions where he says i don't know what to say and she says then make no sound or like don't say anything and it's like what it then just don't put that in the music they're just posh people who kind of like can't help but coming together because they're like you know he's you know he's pretending that he's one of the revolutionaries she's been um like raised by jean valjean they're sort of like they're, they're in bas- a convent yeah they're basically just both kind of posh and they see each other and they're like my god you're another posh person <laughs> But you're kind of like, you're an acceptable posh person because you've got these sort of things around you. So we, it's, it's okay. We can kind of, we can get together like, yeah. and not feel guilty about kind of like following our class exactly. Well, here's, and this leads really perfectly into my next question, which is, do we like Marius? Because here's my... I like Eddie Redmayne. That's my... <laughs> I... Eddie Redmayne is the perfect casting. No he, singing training, by the way. And he, he fucking nails it. He is a gift. I am waiting for the solo album, still. Honestly. <laughs> he does have that thing where he sounds a little bit, like, froggy. Like, yeah. Like, he's a bubble in his throat. Yeah. But we forgive it because we love Eddie Redmayne. Mm-hmm. But Marius is a character, right? He's a bad revolutionary. Yeah. Honestly, anybody who I have to be like, 
come on, like, let me convince you to be a revolutionary. Like, I don't want you fighting beside exactly. me. Exactly. I don't trust you to have my back. Incorrect. It feels very rich boy gap here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, at some point it's mentioned that he's a student. He must be a terrible student. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, this guy is, we do not see him going to classes. We do not nope. see him studying. We do not see him with a book ever. And he's either inobservant when it comes to Eponine because she's so obviously in love with him, or there's... Uh, yeah, I want to circle back to that. Right. Yeah. Or or there's something really... Fun. Like, to go back to, like, the posh boy, posh girl, like, in, it's, either, it's that or in his mind, it's like, of course I'm not going to be with this low-class girl. Like, it wouldn't even... There's not even the possibility this person who does all this stuff for me who's beautiful and, all, and so dedicated and loyal, of course I'm not going to get with her. Or he's fooled around with her before, and he's being really shitty, right? Like, he's like, oh, you're just yeah. like... Mm. Oh, that didn't work for me. Like like... Yeah. I just, I... No, I get really bad vibes yeah. from Marius. Before we circle back to Eponine, I want to talk about Cosette. For me, she is the pumpkin spice heroine. <laughs> she is a big cup of nothing. <laughs> yeah. And... I don't know if this is because I dreamed of being a naturally blonde soprano as a mm -hmm. child, and I ended up neither. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, I really have uh, harsh feelings against Cosette. I do, too. I don't like any of her songs as an adult. And I, get, I, I, and I think that when she meets Marius, it really does feel like, oh, there's a, it's a way to get out. ...about it not being a kind of a great or even cohesive story is that, like, yeah. in both the stories, she, like, if you consider the kind of the first half of the stories about Jean Valjean, and that comes back kind of towards the end, mm -hmm. the second half is sort of about this love triangle. But in both of them, Cosette exists as, like... You could say a plot device or you could say a kind of like a goal or something like that. She's there because she's the kind of like the the kid to be saved in the first one. And then she's the kind of the person to be fallen in love with mm -hmm. in like the second half. And she doesn't really have any agency of her own. Yeah. She just exists to sort of like almost as a kind of like a MacGuffin character. Yeah. Like, like basically, because um, when, when Jean Valjean says like, we're going, mm -hmm. there's no, she and Marie both just accept it. They're like. God, it's gonna be so sad. I miss you so much. Marius is like, might as well die on the barricade. Yes, yeah. Yes, I'll go to revolution then. Okay. Do you hear the people saying? I guess so. <laughs> okay, but here's the question: Is Eponine a better match? Here's my theory. Mm -hmm. Today, yes. Like mm -hmm. 21st century, right? Like she's teasing him. My preferred way of flirting. Mm -hmm. She's industrious. Mm -hmm. Like she gets around the town. Like she knows how to, you know like work the system, she knows all the streets, all of this. I bet she would make Marius super successful at whatever he tried to do. Which, uh, by the way, he's not getting there on his own. He does not seem that smart. Um, and she also actually knows him. Mm -hmm. Like they've had conversations. They, you know, talk together, they laugh together, they, you know, actually know each other. Um Wasn't she mean to Cassette when Cassette was growing up though? Yeah. Oh, yes, that's true. That is part of the because we don't, because I always kind of forget that she's the biological daughter of the Tenardis. Yeah. And Cassette, I think, I don't know if you mentioned, it was adopted by the Tenardis. I didn't mention it, but yes, like, she yes. was, yes. Uh, and she's saved from them, saved. Yeah. Uh, like, she, she, she's she's by... indentured to them, basically. He, like, that's yeah. the... Jean Valjean the... pays a pretty sum to get her back. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Can I, but can I um, interject just, I agree with everything you said about Eponine and Marius. The reason why I was kind of shaking my head though when you said, are they a good match, is that I think I can see all the pros for him, I think that, like, think about it now. I think that this is, like, the classic in TV and movies couple where 
they're successful, they're beautiful, everything's there so... And he's cheating on her constantly with different versions of Cosette, right? Like, he could... He needs Eponine to be... To have status, to do well in the world. I don't think he's going to love her and be a partner to her in the way that Eponine deserves. And I'm, I think that Eponine, because she's been abused her whole life... Yeah. And is with a husband who she... Like, probably... Like, you know, he probably went into this marriage also being like, well, she loves me more anyway. And, and that's kind of like the accepted power dynamic in their couple. I just think that this could be... I just feel like her self-esteem would plummet... She would not be well. She would not feel well. She would keep thinking that it was her fault. And he would just get richer and richer and more and more successful. He would take her to parties because she'd be so great and, like, so funny. And everyone thinks she's wonderful. Oh, my God, Panin, Panin, Panin. But then, yeah, he's cheating on the side. I just, I feel like he'd be a horrible partner. Yeah, and also, I mean, like, I don't know that she would be great at parties in that time. She would learn Because she would have the accent and she would have the, but people would know, you know. I mean, the upper class at the time is so small. I feel like she would try so hard for him that she would reinvent herself. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I really do agree that, like, honestly, the best outcome for her is to die, which is, like... <laughs> yeah, like, not that that's a good outcome for her, but it's, like, out of all of the outcomes, that's what she's got. But... <laughs> well, I mean, I in in the sense also that she, I mean, like... You see middle ground, Chris? I mean... <laughs> do you no, see I, it? I mean... Do you? Is there middle ground? I agree with you, Rachel, but I mean, it is important, I think, to remember that she is, like... I mean, she's a literary character, and within the context of this thing, she is being kind of designed to die. Like, you know, the yeah. love story is really... It's not about um, Marius and Cassette. It's about uh, Emmeline and, and Marius. Like, that's... She's the she's the one who's in love, and she's the kind of... Like, she's the tragic figure who can't get... Mm-hmm. And, and she's the one who everyone remembers. Like, the... Um, you know, she's on her own, and, you know, she gets her solo, and that's the, that's the bit. That's the character that everybody cares about. So when you say that, you know, the best thing for her to do is die slightly and it, it it's because that's kind of like what she's been designed to do by the people who write the musical and I guess a little bit Victor Hugo. I'm glad that you brought up the solo thing too because it's interesting right like she has her this is who I am song Javert and um, Jean Valjean have that too in like multiple ways but Cosette and Marius don't mm. um, they only have songs like their song the most like this is who we are songs are couple songs and then with Marius, it's like with the revolutionaries, but even those songs like Enjolras, I don't know how, I don't, I, yeah. however we say that name, he's the one who's kind of taken, like, that's his identity, right? Like, I am a revolutionary. Mm. Marius and Cosette just kind of seem, you know, like, they don't have that. They 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 exist to be with each other in various forms. And as a result, like, their presence to me feels really muted in the, in the musical. And also in the musical when you watch it, but also in the musical listening to it. Again, those are the songs where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> that makes, I love the, um, I mean, in that whole musical, like, my favourite song is the, is, is the Red and the Black. Like, yeah. Um, Red. <laughs> yeah. Like, For me, it's One Day More. Uh, I can't wait. I, I, I love it. It's like, a, a, it feels like an Amadeus. Have you guys seen this movie? Yes. Where yes. he's like, and it's it's a solo, and it becomes a duet, and uh-huh. it becomes a trio. And, it becomes a, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, yes, it's everybody wanting things. I yeah, love yes. this story. Yeah. It's proper musical theater. So, like, it, so it's an interesting situation, though, that we're... Like, the love story is somewhat necessary to move the mm-hmm. plot along because it's, it's the impetus for, like, three or four, like, major plot events. 
But um, at this time, so I actually did some research. People don't know exactly what the wealth distribution in France was at this time. Mm -hmm. But let's assume that Marius is a semi-aristocrat, at least, um, is in the top 1%. And Cosette's maybe in the top 10%. You know, they're, they're living a comfortable life at a monastery. So at this time... We were comfortable. They were comfortable. <laughs> they, were, they were comfortable. They were comfortable. <laughs> we, I mean, we were comfortable. So. <laughs> At this time, the top 10% of the population owned 40, 45% of the wealth. And the bottom 50% had 18% of the wealth. But this was better than before the French Revolution. And it continued to get better over the 19th century. Which is really interesting yeah. because it's like, you think that you're watching a musical about like this particularly dire moment. Right. And it's actually this kind of midpoint. Right. You know, and similarly, um, I think that like the, this... this not quite as miserable as we could have been 50 yeah, years ago. Yeah. Well, well, it's like, yeah, so like the, the miserable people are actually not the focus of the, the musical. It's like, yeah, Jean Valjean, mm. his life sucks. So, okay, he's miserable. But like Mary, like Marius and Cosette are are miserable in the way of like I'm I'm sad because I'm in love and I can't be right. with that person. And because I had a terrible childhood. Yeah, which is like a, a like a I'd say a normal level of misery. Like, you <laughs> yeah. don't wish it on but, anybody. On, Les Misérables it means like the wretched, right? It yeah. doesn't actually mean miserable. Yes, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, to like, be fair. But like, please correct my French. <laughs> Listeners will love it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's not. I mean, it's talking. It, the the title means poor people, effectively. Right? So, um, for me, I always identified with Eponine more. I think, like, yeah, a she's definitely like you know we are the ninety nine percent plus you know brunette Fontaine. Nobody wants to be Fontaine. <laughs> That's yeah. just you. You don't. But then recently, I I found out. So I tested my voice online um, because I always thought I was a mezzo soprano. As a former theater kid, I'm sorry, you guys, I know it's the worst. <laughs> and um, I found out I'm a contralto. I'm basically a, a female tenor. My voice is super low, which means that the only character I could actually conceivably play in this musical is, do you want to guess who it is? Do you, do you have a guess? I have no idea. It's Madame Thénardier. <laughs> I actually was, I was thinking about it and I was like, no, what if I'm wrong? And then... <laughs> In the casting notes from the uh, brochure I found online said, does not have to sing well. So oh. I, think, <laughs> I think, you know, th this is the perfect role for me, but my whole life I've been, you know, really, really uh, empathizing with Eponine, right. and that was not the case. Turns out. Turns out. It's the Tanars. I'm, I'm, I'm none of them. So, shifting a little bit, um, the Jean Valjean divergent. Is this is this, oh. is this the question? Does he lead a totally sexless life? I say yes. Yeah, I think so too. He was in prison for nineteen years. Mm -hmm. Um, he stole. It was for his sister's kid, right? Yeah. Um, then he becomes, and then I feel like what happens is after his conversion thing with the bishop, I think he really goes like total purity, like right, like I think he really leads. A, like a monastic life in almost every possible way, except for the fact that he has worldly power. Um, At yeah. one point, yes, before he becomes like the groundskeeper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I really, I, I think that he's so extreme in, like, you know, when he decides he's going to take revenge, he immediately goes out and steals something. When he decides, no, 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 I have to do right, 
it's all or nothing, like, right? And, like, and especially in the French version, I mean, to be fair, like, in the English language version, too, because they take out a lot of, like, the god stuff for the yeah. other for the other mm-hmm. characters, but for Jean Valjean, like, that's pretty, like, anything god-ish is, that's kept is almost always Jean Valjean in the English language um, script. And, yeah, his whole thing, his character is, I'm a man of God, I'm or I'm a, re- I'm a wretch, like, I, I don't deserve to be a man of God, I just hope one day I can get there. Um, and, and... Yeah, because it's. I mean, like it feels like it almost sometimes feels to me like he and Fontaine are, are in a relationship, I, th- but they're not. There is a tension there. Mm. Yeah, you know, and, and like even <laughs> like she's the one who yeah. comes back at the end to bring him to God. You exactly, know? and it's just like okay, well, was this a missed opportunity? Yeah. Like, I, I, de- I definitely get that vibe that there's yeah. that sort of. Like, yeah. she's she's the one that got away. Like, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. If only there are ships that pass. Yeah. So, <laughs> If only you hadn't judged too harshly and let, or like, if only you had just like stepped in and listened to them at the beginning and not been like, oh, there's a disturbance in the streets. Fix this. I said I don't like disturbances. If only you had given a shit. This is a factory, not a circus. (laughs) (laughs) But also, in the English versions, Calm Wilkinson has the sexiest voice that I have ever heard. It's Irish. It's like it's it's this resident tenor, Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, this makes me sad that he's. Not having sex. But I think that the weird thing about the musical, because it's a a version of the book, and obviously mm-hmm. the book is, like we've said, is kind of like massive, and there's loads of sort of details in it, but you're kind of allowed to write your own fan fiction about the musical because there's so much left out. So if you don't want Jean Valjean to be a virgin, then <laughs> he's not a virgin. He, of course, you have to remember he wouldn't have had such a kind of like sexy tenor voice when he was having all the sex. That's it, that's it, younger, that's it. probably been a bit kind of like... I, I don't think that's how it works, but yeah. Works? I don't really know anything about Okay, singing. guys, your favourite character in any version of this musical... Um, my favorite, like, as in, I would like to spend time with them, or my favorite character to watch and listen to? To watch and listen to. Um, I love Javert. Do you? Also, it was going to be my answer. I love, (laughs) and one of my favorite songs of maybe any musical I've seen is, like, the confrontation between, like, every time he and Jean Valjean, oh my god, I mean, like, that opening, their voices together, yeah, um, um, yeah, Javert Hive. Oh, the point where he's like... I was born inside a jail. Like, I was, you know, it's just like this tiny information mm-hmm. that just gives you everything. Yeah. Mine is the French Gavroche, who's like this little nine year old who's like, you know, when I fall down, it's Voltaire's fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, when I go to the Rousseau, it's actually Rousseau. And I was like, okay, Gavroche. <laughs> like, my nose is in the gutter. It's fucking Rousseau's fault. And I'm like, yeah, you read some stuff somehow. Um, I love it. I would watch 40 hours of tiny French Gavroche. Um, I also like English Gavroche when he's just like, hi guys, I'm your tour guide to Paris. <laughs> he's so, but it's very different. He's so like sparkling and alert for someone who's been like, living on the street in the barricades. He's like, hi, show you around. Oh, he's lying. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, least favorite character in any version of the musical. It would have to be a tie between Cassette and Marius. I mean, I'm really not joking. Like, I do not. We're not going to say Russell Crowe as Javert? No, I love oh. Russell Crowe as Javert. Like, what is, I love what Russell is his Crow, like... voice? He can't pull it I'd off. Love, oh, I'd love, I I, yeah, Chris, I'd love you to walk us through, like, what do you think his inspiration was for what he, what he did? Right. I'm not even going to call it Being, uh, being I, Russell Crowe? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was money. <laughs> 
I think they offered him money to talk his way through this part. I mean, no, he it, thinks he's great. He it, thinks he's... I think I've read... I, this, this may not be true, but I'm pretty sure I've read interviews with him where he's like, I can't even sing, but I was the fucking best thing in that movie. <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh, that makes me delighted, actually. That really delights me. Um, I, I always forget... I would murder him just for fun. <laughs> uh, remember that he's in a band. So, actually... Uh, yeah, Russell Crowe's a rock star. Yeah, so, the band is called 30 Odd Foot of Grunts. <laughs> So, is that real? I, yeah. It is real. I yeah, downloaded no. one of their songs on Napster. Like, back when it was really novel to... Uh, oh, Russell Crowe's in a band. I found out what it was. Do you I, remember what the song was like? No. I'm, like, you know... Did you enjoy it? No. <laughs> yeah, he's it, in a it's band. It's just gladiator, gladiator, gladiator. <laughs> Australia! Gladiator, gladiator. <laughs> okay, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to just, before we finish up, uh, throw in... One vote for most improved, which is that Anne Hathaway's one take as Fontaine in I Dreamed a Dream. I am not an Anne Hathaway stan. I'm not proud of that. I think it's because of how earnest she is as an actress. I think it's because of her name, because <laughs> who names a child that? Uh, but that is also like that is a place where they use film. The best possible uh, ends where it's like, yeah, that should be a close up. Mm-hmm. That should be a one shot close up. Like, good job. I don't want to see that on a big stage. Right. I want to see the camera on her face the full time. Mm-hmm. I want to see her crying. Yeah. Although I will say also, but like, all, two thumbs down for Tom Hooper, right? That's the director. Yeah. Where uh, I think all those actors came away with PTSD, especially Anne Hathaway. Oh, for sure. Because um, I think that dream, like, um, I Dreamed a Dream, wasn't that. Didn't he make her do, like, eight hours of singing over and over again? And then he finally took the first take? Yes. Wow. He also made her do a take in a coffin. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. He made her, and he also had her lose a ton of weight. Let's remember also that, like, Anne Hathaway, famously a tiny person, was told, you need to lose more weight. But I'm so impressed by her because she wouldn't tell anybody how she lost it. Yeah. She was saying, nobody else should be doing this. Exactly. Like, I remember that. Tips. And this is so, like... I don't know if I can communicate the extent to which, like, in the 90s, there were all sorts of teen magazine articles about, like, oh, anorexia is terrible, and this woman did this and this and this and this mm-hmm. and this, and here's a six-step guide to, you know, like, losing weight in an incredibly unhelpful way. Right. And uh, this is bad, but, like, look how great she looks. Mm-hmm. And Anne Hathaway was just like, nope, I did this in a way that, you know, was life-threatening and you know, should not be done. And it took her forever to recover. Like, Hugh Jackman didn't drink water for 36 hours before his big solo because he was like, yeah, because he wouldn't have had that much water back then. So, <laughs> 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 so, my dude is too Sorry, can I get some water here? <laughs> I read that too, but it was for the first scene, which is actually in the film. They're lifting the boat mast. Oh, is that the scene? But I guess it's salt water, which yeah. doesn't quench your thirst. Um, <laughs> famously. <laughs> Ironically. Famously, no. not a good idea. Survival tips on uh, the We'll Always Have Paris podcast. Desalt the water first. Yeah. <laughs> Desalination. Um, okay, final comments on Les Miserables. Um, I love both versions now, so thank you, Rachel, for introducing us to the French one. Um, I also just wanted to say that, interestingly... Obviously, the English is translated from the French, but all subsequent language productions, a lot of them are translated from the English and not from the French. Mm. Um, but it's actually really. But I couldn't figure. I couldn't find 
a list to see like which languages were translated from what from what from French or the English but it's not surprising that we didn't know that there's a French version because the English language version has become this monolith right so that even other countries that want to do Les Mis go to that first sometimes so yeah I thought that was really interesting like there have been studies where people put translations through Google Translate mm -hmm. like to such an extent you know like 10-15 times into different languages and it just comes out gibberish <laughs> but the English version is already like a little bit gibberish right you know where it's just like like um you know the castle on a cloud is one of them um I dreamed a dream is the uh, line okay. about the the tigers coming at night yeah is, it uh, makes confused. no sense mm -hmm. like, and so you're just like Okay, so translate that 15 times over into different languages. Right. What do you end up with? I think that a lot of the lyrics, and I, you know, know the English language version very well, I think are, like, very poetic and actually speak to, like, genuine human emotions. And I think it actually excels in the reason that a musical should excel, in that it allows people to express their internal emotions through a, a kind of like a poetic um, way, in a poetic way, mm -hmm. rather. And now it's time for our favorite segment, Mary Fuck Kill. So this week we're going to Mary Fuck and Kill, the three characters that Naf has chosen from Les Miserables. So, Naf, will you please present the uh, three characters slash entities that you would like to uh, have us choose this week? So I'd like you to choose from, these are your three options, the Tenardiers, both. You can't <laughs> choose one, the Tenardiers total. So, threesome. Yes, exactly. Um, well, they might bring in other people. You have to, I mean, the Tenardiers are always going to surprise you. Uh, revolution. <laughs> Just revolution. In revolution. General. You decide how you want to interpret that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and your third option is Cosette. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the one thing I know straight off the bat is that I'm killing Cosette. <laughs> Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, you know what? I want that to be true because I think it's funnier. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that the Thénardiers, like. They're going to be gross. I feel like they have sexual preferences that are not to my liking. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are going to be, you know, animals involved. Mm -hmm. There oh, may yeah. be bondage mm -hmm. uh, in a way that I do not find pleasing. I would not know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that would make me not enjoy the experience. Right. Um, I'm going to marry revolution mm -hmm. for sure. Just because to me, life of consistently ongoing revolution that sounds delightful mm -hmm. um it's i think it was also the political stance of gaddafi but it's um <laughs> well, <laughs> well the, the choice was not gaddafi <laughs> so i'm not being held to that <laughs> i don't know but i'll tell you what i'm not spending the rest of my life with cosette i will do her one time mm -hmm. um i will be thinking of england <laughs> and and that's all. Um, I'll never call her again. And I feel like I'll be getting texts from her for about a year. Oh, such earnest long texts. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Cosette. I, I had to ghost you. It was it was too much. Chris? Um, I think I'm going to go for... Um, so I would kill Cosette, not out of any particular hatred towards her, but, but just because I find her a very kind of like bland character. Um, and 
I've got no strong feelings towards her. Whereas, like, the Tenardiers, I would marry them because I think the possibility, you know, the the idea of a, a long, fun, well, long, fun, a happy and fun life and living at the margins of things and everything like that seems enjoyable to me. And I think, like, fuck revolution because, um, you know, I mean, like, revolution is is great, uh, obviously, but, like, I wouldn't want to be in a long-term relationship <laughs> with it. Mm-hmm. With revolution as an abstract, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, like, I'd God, never get Chris anything done. God, saying that you the Thenardiers just made me understand Chris. <laughs> 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 but... Nav, what would yours be? Um, so I would kill the Thenardier. I have to be honest, a lot of it is actually that I think that whatever space they occupy, like, even if I moved us out to, a, like, a better home, I think whatever, I think they're just the kind of people who, after a week, wherever they live is filthy. And it will be filled with cockroaches and mice. They would never clean. Um, I feel like they would bring in, like, children all the time. I'd be like, whose are they? And they'd be like, oh, this is a niece. And then they'd make them go to work in the house. So I'm going to kill them. It would be pretty gross. That's, you know, I, I accept that. That's but. really what I'm thinking about, honestly. Like, the like. I mean, what, the day that they try to, like, they go to the graveyard and the police come too quickly and they accidentally bring the corpse with them. Yeah. And then I'm in the living room, like, reading my book and I'm like, oh! And they're like, oh, just for another hour or so, I can't. I'm not, they're not going to let you keep a book. They're going to sell your book right from, a, from That's your That's true. Hand. We're not even going to have furniture. What am I saying? Sitting in the living room? No. If we have walls, it'll be a miracle. Your, your two occupations are stealing things from other people. Okay, three occupations. Stealing things from other people eating like their disgusting meat mm. and oh, yeah. um having weird three ways yeah. with them and yeah. or joy <laughs> <laughs> colon joy <laughs> um i am going to fuck revolution cuz i think it'll be exciting it'll be fun and i'm hoping that'll get me through the fact that i will have to marry cosette but I feel like Revolution will be my constant companion. But I feel like Cosette is also a 19th century French woman, and therefore, like, upper class, therefore expects you to cheat on her, and is just like, yes, this is, I will have the babies. To cheat on her with Revolution, which with, is... With yeah. Revolution, you have the Revolution babies. The Revolution has your babies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how gender works in this scenario. Yeah, it's true. But, we but, don't know if Revolution can engender babies yet. Mm. Right. It happens, um, and... Uh, you know, in the meantime, she's just, like, at home being like, ooh, China. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's... Uh, and you know what? We could have yeah. pleasant picnics together. Um, you know, like, I'd be willing to watch her insipid movies every once in a while. Um, what kind of insipid movies? Like, Oscar Park would be for her, like, the best movie ever. Like, it's a pretty good movie, though. She'd watch Downton Abbey, like, way <laughs> past the point where it's interesting. It's she'd so be cool. like, oh, it's just rich people. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. I mean... I'm sorry, I'm so... I'm so off with the fact that Chris thought Cosford Park was a good movie. It's entertaining. I do like that movie. No, because Downton Abbey is the what it should have been. When you watch Gosford Park and then watch Downton Abbey, you're like, oh, it should never have been a movie. He needed a TV show. Right. Yeah. I just think it's such a pale... Like, it's, I, I don't know, especially after I watched Downton Abbey, I was like, this movie is just that, except in two hours. There's I hope a- you guys know that I'm cutting all of this. <laughs> wow, wow. This is the best stuff. This is, we're finally getting to it. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's Mary Fuck Kill. <laughs> Thank you.
That was this week's episode of We'll Always Have Paris. Join us next week for our discussion of the relationship between Emmanuel and Brigitte Macron, the romance that rocked the French political world. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.